Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast today. We've got Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, John Farley, and I'm Hazel Burton. On the show today, we have got a Game of Thrones quiz. We've also just been to see Endgame and we'll be giving you our first reactions straight out of the cinema and into the pod booth. We have a booth now. Yes. Has it got wheels on? Yes, it has a mobile booth. <laughs> And we have some recommendations, so everything that we've been watching lately, we're going to be talking about. Let's start the show. Did anyone see the John Oliver segment on wrestling? Speaking for wrestling fans, we kind of already know all that stuff, but it's quite cool to see someone in the mainstream actually call them out on all of the really shady business practices they do to their non-employees. But as we record, I'm very tired because it's WrestleMania weekend at the moment. So there's a lot of content. Didn't Bret Hart or somebody get rushed onto stage by a, a protester or something? Somebody was doing a speech in the middle of the ring yep. and they just got punched by a crowd member. It happens reasonably regularly. Yeah. I've just, yeah, it's, it's odd. Yeah, people will just jump the rail and the security is sometimes a little bit slow to respond. In the past, if anybody's done that, the wrestlers got free reign to just kick the fuck out of them. Mm. But you get negative media attention if you kick the fuck out of fans these days, so they can't really do that. WrestleMania will have aired by the time our episode goes out, but at time of recording, I expect somebody weedy dressed up like John Oliver with a British accent is probably going to get <laughs> smacked over the head with something uh, <laughs> by Dave Batista, who has made a comeback while he's dust in the Marvel is Universe. He, is he back wrestling again? He is wrestling Triple H tonight. Oh, to me, he's the best actor that's come out of yeah. WWE. Do you find it depends on the movie? Like, he's great in some films and less good in others? I was surprised at how good he was playing against type in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, it's just 2049. a guy. <laughs> yeah, because mm. he, he's played both a good guy and a bad guy in wrestling, and you'd think mm. huge, muscly Dave Bautista would be a really good bad guy, but just like he's fantastic at the comedy in the Marvel films, he makes a very good sympathetic underdog character. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also great at just being a smarmy dickhead who wears really outlandish clothes and doesn't care what anyone thinks about him. Mm. He's very, very good, and it's quite cool that he's back while Drax is no more. Mm -hmm. Or is he? He's expected to come back in two years, isn't he? What, Drax? Yeah. In the Guardians movie. Yeah. Obviously oh, his fate but he's game -wise but he's is not dusty. revealed yet. Yeah. Have we talked about um, James Gunn's reinstatement? No, not yet. So we, we are getting a Guardians of the Galaxy 3 with James Gunn, which I think I'm, I'm personally pleased about. Mm. Presumably using the script that he'd already written. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't have been free from any association anyway, so it seems silly to mm. not have him direct mm. it. Had they replaced him as director in between? They, they found it really hard to find a decent director who didn't refuse point blank to take yeah. someone else's movie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but he's got to make The Suicide Squad first. Which is now veering more towards being a sequel than we previously thought, because Viola Davis is back. Will Smith's not. Because they were recasting Deadshot, Will Smith's character in the first movie, mm -hmm. but now they've decided instead that Idris Elba will be a different character so that they can bring Will Smith back in a future movie. Mm -hmm. So that implies a series, certainly. And we've got Harley Quinn is back and Boomerang, Jacobs. <laughs> He can go jump as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, but he'd come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I class him along with Taylor Kitsch in actors whose involvement in a film makes me actively less interested in the film. Did you watch John Carter of Mars? Yes, and if they'd cast anybody with any level of charisma <laughs> in that lead role, it might have been a better mm -hmm. film. Mm. Have we all seen Joaquin Phoenix in the new Joker film? The trailer. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I had very little interest in that film and then I saw the trailer and now I can't wait to see it. So mm. it's worked on me. Mm. I had very little interest in the film and now I have no interest in really? the film. It just <laughs> it just made me think, oh, so I'm supposed to like the Joker now? I think he might not be the Joker. I think he may be a Joker. And I think that might be the way they're going with it. Mm. I mean, it is called just Joker, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Not the Joker. Yeah. So he, what, dies and then another Joker kind of takes on mm -hmm. his personality or...? Yeah, I, I think they're going to try and find a way to make it exist, possibly in canon, if they want it to, while keeping it quite loose. 
Although DC do seem to be kind of backing away from the DC Universe stuff of late. They do, but there's still some nod towards continuity. I mean, certainly Aquaman, which is the last one I saw, they mentioned Justice League was one sentence and thrown away, like, oh, you're the guy that stopped Steppenwolf. And that was it. The Joaquin Phoenix film I'm looking forward to this year is The Sisters Brothers, the Western with him and John C. Riley. Yes, I nearly saw that yesterday. You're all kind of geared up to go and watch that. But I read a couple of things which put me off. One is that a stable of horses gets set on fire. And I Mm. remember a similar thing happening in Game of Thrones and nearly throwing up. And it's just apparently incredibly violent. I was just like, mm, it doesn't really mm. feel like a kind of Saturday afternoon activity yeah. I want to it's do. Based on a very good book. Mm. So I, I would like to see it. John C. Riley apparently is great. Yeah, he pushed it to the screen. He wanted a film made of it and made sure he was in it. So who's got some new recommendations to share with the nerd world? Well, I've got the soundtrack to the musical Hamilton that I've been listening to. Oh, that's fantastic, because Hazel, you went to see it recently, didn't you? (laughs) What did you think? What have you done? (laughs) I am going to recommend a film that I saw that got, I think, a fairly limited release last year, but is now on home video. It's called Sorry to Bother You, written and directed by a rapper called Boots Riley. Boots, there it is. Do you know how to do rap? Yeah. Boots and cats and cats and boots. She knows how to do rap. She's seen (laughs) Hamilton. (laughs) The start of the film is you have a character played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is in a relationship with his girlfriend, played by Valkyrie herself, Tessa Thompson. And he has a selection of low-paid jobs. He's struggling to pay the rent. And he gets a job in telesales. So is he selling things on the telephone or is he selling televisions? Selling things on the telephone. But he's struggling with his telesales until he gets the advice from his co-worker, played by Danny Glover, to use his white person voice on the phone. I should have mentioned Lucky Stanfield is a actor of colour. I think we could tell from the name. <laughs> so he begins talking in a white person voice and becomes a much more successful salesman as a result. It's the reverse of Black Klansman. The conceit, however, is that when he's speaking his white person voice, is actually overdubbed by David Cross from Arrested Development and so on. So he actually is a different actor speaking the voice. <laughs> his friends try and unionise and he gets involved in starting a union, but because he's so successful, he gets invited to become one of the power sellers and as his career goes onwards and upwards, complications ensue and his relationships are tested and there may be something else going on under the service of the company. It's really, really good fun. It's very avant-garde, surreal. I won't talk too much about the last 45 minutes, but it goes somewhere you really do not expect it to go. It's a film about capitalism, it's a film about race, it's a film about slave labour, but done with a real lightness of touch. Tessa Thompson as his girlfriend's great. Arnie Hammer turns up as the boss. Patton Oswalt is another white person voice. And Lily James is a white person voice. So there's a good cast there. The guy who directed it, wrote the screenplay, couldn't get the money to make the film. So actually released it as a rap album first, which came out a few years before the film, and then that got them the funding to make the film. And then once they made the film, they needed a big extra chunk of money to finish the film off and do the last scenes. And uh, the early cuts were so well received that they got an extra big chunk of money to finish the film the way they wanted. Really, really highly recommended. It hits the John Sweet spot of silliness, fun... Unexpected twists while having something meaty to talk about, sort of allegorically. And if you didn't enjoy (laughs) that review, sorry to bother you. So that's his first film. It's his first film as a director, yeah. How does it compare with things like Black Klansman? Tonally, it's a comedy, much more than Black Klansman. Less about race. Really? Because it sounds very about race. I would say its main target is corporations and the way that people profit off other people's labour. But obviously, if you're talking about that sort of thing in America, then race is quite intertwined with that. The white person voicing is not actually the central point of the film. It's more of a jumping off point. It's it's how to make him successful. So it's a nice Mm. little gag, and it's a nice commentary on how people think white people's voices are perhaps more trustworthy on the phone and stuff like that. Um, But once it gets past that, it goes into some other very interesting areas. It jumps around a little bit. But, uh, oh, you know, I thought about it for a long time afterwards. I'd, I'd like to watch it again. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. I think he's a really, really good filmmaker. Mm-hmm. 
my recommendation. Please be Hamilton. Please be Hamilton. My recommendation is in my bag because I didn't want to get it out earlier. Oh, God. Because <laughs> 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 I didn't want it to distract Dan because I think you might like this quite a lot. Oh, no. What's it going to be? Oh, oh, that bag's up. What's it going to be? Oh. Ah, I know it well. Oh, have you read it? I've uh, read the original trilogy. haven't read the prequels yet. Okay, so just so you know what we're on about. No, um... don't tell them. It's our secret. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's his recommendation, Dan. Watch. <laughs> it's delve into a bag and make Dan go, ooh. <laughs> this is William Shakespeare's Star Wars, A New Hope. It's a story of Star Wars and all its Shakespearean nature, which is, you know, rival families and uh, royalties being displaced and all that kind of good Shakespearean stuff in actual Shakespeare style. Yeah, it's very, very cleverly done. So the, the opening crawl has been rewritten in iambic pentameter. And yeah. I think even R2's beeps and boops are in iambic. Yes. And certain characters speak in blank verse. And he's a proper Shakespeare scholar, the man who wrote it, but he's a proper Star Wars fan as well. Would you it's, care to read the prologue? Um, yeah, I'm yeah. going to read the prologue. But yeah, it's wonderful. It's kind of got stage directions in there. But you can also get insight into the characters that you wouldn't get from the film. So like you get a monologue by Obi-Wan when he is beginning to train Luke and he's mm. get his kind of feelings about it, which, would be, which is really interesting. But yeah, to give you an idea of the style, this is the prologue. It is a period of civil war. The spaceships of the rebels striking swift. From base and scene have gained a victory over the cruel galactic empire now adrift. Amidst the battle, rebel spies prevailed and stole the plans to a space station vast, whose powerful beams will later be unveiled and crush a planet tis the Death Star blast. Pursued by agents sinister and cold, now Princess Leia to her home doth flee, delivering plans and new hope they hold of bringing freedom to the galaxy. In time so long ago begins our play in Star-Crossed Galaxy far, far away. Now, I don't want to be pedantic, but um, it feels to me like the second half of that might actually be written by Christopher Marlowe rather than Shakespeare. <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> Bacon, surely. <laughs> it's also got some really cool illustrations. So this is... That's Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. Uh, so this is Jabba the Hutt wearing an Elizabethan hat with feathers and everything, speaking to Han Solo. I think a lot of kind of care and effort and drugs, and drugs <laughs> has been put into every single word. It's very clear that the author, Ian Dosher, is a very, very mm. big Star Wars fan and lots of little clever little Easter eggs in there. And they do sell those books at Shakespeare's birthplace in Stratford as well. <laughs> and he's done, he's done signings there and things like that as well. So it's been accepted by the Shakespearean community as well as the Star Wars one. A lot of these sort of things are quite cheap, quickly done cash-ins, but it sounds like this that should be done with a lot of love and care. Mm -hmm. I think it'd have to be to kind of get it done right. Mm -hmm. I don't know when he might have started writing it, but it was so successful he finished the trilogy, then he went and did the prequels, and I think he's done The Force Doth Awaken as well. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, he has. Yep. Uh, and have you read the whole thing? Yes. No. Oh, you're going to read the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm well into it. Um, I've got to, um, yeah, Obi-Wan's uh, monologue, so nearly a third into it. Mm. Now enter I, the scene of this boy's life. This boy whom I've watched for many years hath grown into the man before me now. Creeper. My hope I now entrust to him alone that he might be our sure deliverance. And yet the situation warrants care. I must approach with caution as we speak. So it's a nice and a nice insight into what Obi-Wan's going through because mm. you don't really see that in the film. Yeah. That's my cool. recommendation. That's, um, yeah. Nice weird choice. For any uh, parent who want to get their kids into Shakespeare and don't know how to start with Star Wars. Or if they have a really dull child <laughs> who they want to get into Star Wars. <laughs> 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 For mine, I'll stay reasonably spoiler-free with this one. It's Shazam. Has anyone seen that yet? It's only been out for a little while when I'm reviewing. No, I've, I've seen Big, so I don't think I need to. <laughs> okay, Shazam is DC's latest entry into the DC universe, but it's much lighter in tone than Batman vs Superman. It's about Billy Batson, who's an orphaned 16-year-old placed with a new foster family. He's chosen by the Ancient Ones to receive magical superpowers. By saying the word Shazam, he can turn into a superhero with lots of different abilities. And I don't want to reveal which abilities they are, because one of the best elements of the film is the sort of joy and discovery in finding out what his abilities are. It is very like Big. There's a best friend who knows his situation and tries to help and interpret, mainly based on his knowledge of Batman and Superman comics. And they do things like try and buy beer and go to a, what they call a gentleman's club, but it still stays very much family friendly. 
when they drink the beer, they both spit it out because they think it tastes terrible. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> the superhero form was brilliantly played by Zachary Levi, who I always loved in Chuck. Chuck was a great series. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And the foster dad's played by that likable Samoan actor from The Walking Dead, who's normally with King Ezekiel. Oh, Jerry. Yeah. That's the character's name. Can't remember the actor name. And the bad guy is played by Mark Strong. And He's his, a good buddy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He was great and kick-ass. Yeah. His character was ruled unworthy of receiving powers as a child, with terrible consequences leading to rejection by his own family. Oh. <laughs> and his seduction by the seven forces of evil. <laughs> Seduced by the seven forces of evil? Yeah. Like, hey, uh, I'm <laughs> Well, sloth. one of them is love. <laughs> Fancy a... Sloth is the least exciting one by, by a long way. <laughs> anyway, he's trying to defeat Shazam and add his powers to his own. There's a theme of family and belonging and the search for parental approval that runs all the way through the movie. It's not exactly aimed at kids. It's a 12A, but it has some quite violent things happening. And especially if you see it in a cinema with a huge sort of bone-crunching sound system. The impact of some things on screen are quite shocking. Yeah, Just... I, I was confused about who this was aimed at. Cause you say it's a 12 and yeah. it's got that warning of sort of violence, but it's, it seems like from the trailers, it seems to be a kid's film. Well, would you say Big was a kid's film? Mm, a family film. Perfectly fair enough. It's a film kids can enjoy so and adults can enjoy. So it's lower age-wise than sort of the Batman, Superman. In that it's not miserable and something kids wouldn't enjoy, yes. <laughs> in that it's enjoyable. <laughs> yes, exactly. You've got to take a joy in childish things. As mm-hmm. An adult who can do that and not an adult who thinks childish things are below them. But if you do have that about your personality, you'll enjoy it. And knowing you, you've got plenty of childish things in your personality, <laughs> so I think you'd be fine with it. It has the common problem of superhero movies of an overlong fight at the end. It could probably have been about mm. five minutes shorter. Wonder Woman perhaps had the same problem. How long is a film in total? It is about two hours, ten minutes. Yeah, probably a bit longer. So that's where I would have taken yeah. it out. It's only at that point you might find your mind wandering a little bit. But overall, it was a great fun film. I thought it was really enjoyable, well worth seeing. It's less serious but more entertaining than Wonder Woman. I'd give it eight and a half men children out of ten. Hmm, that's got a lot of man-childs. Yeah. You were asking whether you should see it in the cinema, John. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it wouldn't suit the cinema? I got the impression it probably doesn't need to be seen in a cinema, and that it's not particularly visual or effects-heavy. Well, there's plenty of effects in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, plenty of people flying around and doing all sorts of things like that. It's just as much as any other superhero movie would. It didn't look like it's on that epic scale where you need to be in an IMAX screen with the sound and all the... Mm-hmm. felt like something I would catch on video. But you go see other things like, say, Pet Cemetery. I know it's on your list, for example. And mm-hmm. that's not really an epic scale thing. That's more of the envelopment and isolation of a movie theatre. Yeah, I think horror films work a lot better in the cinema for that kind of atmosphere. When he says Shazam, he turns into the superhero. Yeah, and vice versa. So you say Shazam again to turn back. Yeah, a little like the sort of tricks they do in Ant-Man when he changes sizes. Right. So he might be grappling a huge monster and suddenly turns into his little tiny ones, runs between his legs to escape. Ah, okay. So there's a couple yeah. of things like that. So he can never introduce himself to anyone because <laughs> he would change. Oh, right. Okay. Is a character called Shazam? No, actually Shazam is the name of the wizard. Yeah, because the superhero character was originally, originally, originally Captain Marvel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For a different comics company who were then sued into oblivion by DC, yeah. who got the rights as a result. Before Marvel existed uh, as a company. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then when they started to use the character, obviously by then Marvel did exist, so they had to call it something else. So you mentioned in your synopsis that he gets an idea as to what powers he has by his friend reading Superman comics. That's where he learns about what superheroes might be able to do, and they're going through the stuff from the comics. Oh, let's try laser vision and Mm -hmm. things. So this is a DC Universe film, Yeah. yet there are Superman comic books. Is is this explained? There are Superman-Batman toys. Yeah. He has a toy Batarang. If there were actual superheroes around who saved the world and things like that, they'd probably have merchandise. Yes, I think mm. they would. Uh, it's like in Logan, there are X-Men comics yeah. in that world. Mm. Like, I think in the first Avenger, Captain America had his trading cards and things like that. Mm. Yeah. I can believe there'd be Superman comics in mm-hmm. the DC world. If you weren't living in Metropolis, it wouldn't be like you'd never heard of him. Yeah. No. yeah. And they're in Philadelphia as well, which may be a deliberate choice to put him out of the area where he'd run into the other superheroes. Yeah. So they're actually in a real-world city as opposed to Gotham or Metropolis. Mm. So yeah. it's a- or Atlantis. They do do things like running up the rocky steps because they're in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So Rocky exists in this world. He does, because, mm. I mean, at one point he's sitting there showing off with his lightning bolts to either tiger. Does he exist as Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger? 
<laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> oh, no, wait, that was uh, July's. All the Rocky films on Amazon Prime now, they just appear in nice HD. Controversially, I'm a little bit superhero fatigued. <gasps> <sighs> Let's see if you say the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for Endgame. Really enjoy Captain Marvel. Maybe I'm just from DC, just kind of tainted for me. If it turns up on a streaming service or I happen to be on a flight and it's on that, I'd probably watch it, but I wouldn't go to a cinema to see it. Mm-hmm. I think if you went in with those levels of expectation, you'd probably love it. Oh, yeah. I'd, yeah I'd, and I'm not saying I wouldn't enjoy it if I saw it. I'd just not got a huge inclination to do so. Mm-hmm. The story carries you along much more than Aquaman did. You didn't feel involved, and here you do. You kind of connect to the characters much more. Is it sort of like on the same level as Ant-Man in terms of quite fun but yes. unforgettable? Yeah, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, I did sleep through most of Ant-Man in the cinema. You did, yeah. How's next year? You were snoring. Yeah. <laughs> I'd gone to a food and beer festival beforehand and I had four pints of beer and some very, very nice food. I then went and sat in a warm cinema in the afternoon and was fast asleep, I think, within 10 minutes of the start. <laughs> don't think you can entirely play the film for that yeah. Dan, what's your recommendation? I have got another book to add to the Nerdfest bookshelf mm-hmm. and it's a science book which is not something I'd normally read. It's called The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs by Steve Brissati, who's a paleontologist who works at the University of Edinburgh. It basically brings you the latest research on that whole period of prehistory. So since Jurassic Park, since what most people know from their childhoods about dinosaurs, all sorts of advances have been made in technology that have allowed so much more scientific analysis of fossils and things like that. And people are able to find out all sorts of new things and completely change what we thought we knew about dinosaurs and millions of years of Earth's past. He goes from the chronological start, when they first appeared, how they evolved, how they took over the world, and how they ended and continued evolutionarily through birds, but weaving in stories of his own excavations friends he's got in the field and the discoveries they've literally made. Literally in the field. Yeah, quite literally <laughs> in the field, digging out little bits of rock. How you can look at a layer of rocks and just by eye know how old they are is mm. something that is beyond my brain to comprehend. It's really intricate, interesting stuff, but he tells it in a very accessible way. Me, as somebody who, when I was little, obsessed with dinosaurs, and then got to the point where I knew I was never going to be a paleontologist because I was terrible at science. It reminded me how much I used to love these subjects, and it kind of brought it all back, why I was so fascinated by dinosaurs and what they did and how they came to be. So does it have many um, revelations of the order of the things like feathery dinosaurs and things like that? Yeah, it talks about the developments with that and how the theory first came up. Dinosaurs have got wishbones. And the only modern animals that have them are birds. Mm -hmm. And in the 70s and 80s, there were a couple of scientists who had this link. Nobody really believed them. And then I think it might have been an oil field or a construction worker in China came across these fossils. They got sent off to the local museum. They did the analysis and they discovered that it was a feathered dinosaur. They presented it at a conference. It was validated. And over the past 15 years in China, more and more and more of these specimens have been found because they've been preserved in a certain way. And so it's now the common consensus that dinosaurs were feathered and it can be proven now, whereas even 20 years ago, it was a lot harder to say for sure. But they weren't feathers the way we imagine bird feathers to be. They, they looked quite different. I'm pretty sure that it's likely that it was dinosaur skeletons that led to the legends of dragons and things like that. And that they must have been found at some time in the past, even though most of the modern dinosaur excavations only live the last 200 years or so, aren't they? Yeah. So is there stuff they've kind of reinterpreted now to work out where those dragon legends came from or anything like that? Um, the book doesn't go into that and the sort of cultural mythology, but I imagine that must be the case. It deals more with the scientific reinterpretations, you know, skeletons that were 100 years ago put together a certain way based on what people understood at the time. More evidence has come to light. They've looked at things in a different way. They've got new technologies that can analyse things in different ways. Computer simulations can take body mass and weight and figure out how they moved and how digestive systems worked. So what we think we know about dinosaurs isn't necessarily the case. Things like raptors being a lot smaller. Can I I ask then, if they now know that dinosaurs were feathered, 
and that's definitely correct. How comes when they cloned the dinosaurs mm. <laughs> and John Hammond did that thing and they came up, those dinosaurs didn't have feathers? Um, much as I hate to credit it, in Jurassic World, Dr. Wu discusses that and says, these aren't dinosaurs, you didn't want dinosaurs, you wanted attractions, we've spliced them with all sorts of things, we've made them look the way we want them to look, these aren't true dinosaurs, so they cover that in the canon. That is, that's some good retro conning, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it makes sense, because that's in effect what they'd have done when making the Jurassic Park movie, because I'm yeah. sure the feathery dinosaur stuff was around Yeah, it was around at that point, but nobody would have accepted that. You would have expected mm-hmm. the dinosaurs that you saw on the murals of the Natural yeah. History Museum and things like that, mm-hmm. the kind of Victorian idea of what they were. Isn't that why they moved the uh, Dippy or whatever from the Natural History yes. Museum? Isn't that also because it now maybe doesn't match with the current thinking is of mm. how that animal would be know. or is that for a different reason um, well he, he's gone on tour around different museums mm. which is quite nice publicity mm. for the museum and he's been replaced with a blue whale in the central hall which is now called the Hintzer Hall after Mr and Mrs Hintzer who have given a sizable donation to the <laughs> museum so I do wonder whether maybe they didn't want a dinosaur in the hall they've just had named after them and maybe they're quite influential <laughs> there could be various factors at work but the dinosaur bit of the Natural History Museum is far and away the most popular bit based mm. on when I've been there. It's the only bit you've got a queue to get into. The animatronic T-Rex in the yeah. Natural History Museum is pretty cool. As described by Philomena Kunk, the only surviving T-Rex <laughs> is reduced to just <laughs> roaring at tourists all day. Um, <laughs> sad, really, she says. <laughs> yeah, um, Kunk on Britain is another recommendation. It was on about a year ago, but if it's still an iPlayer, it's hilarious. Mm. So yeah, it's a really interesting book. He writes it in a really interesting way, answers lots of people's questions about dinosaurs on Twitter and things like that. So he's very open to making it accessible while obviously being a very, very clever scientist. Mm-hmm. So, John, are you going to tweet him and ask him what dinosaur he'd fuck? I am, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, as long as we don't say anything rude, we could probably give him an ad uh, when we advertise the podcast and he'd probably retweet it, but possibly not. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he himself has discovered all sorts of different things like... Um, dinosaurs don't like being fucked. That. Um, <laughs> <laughs> giant sauropod footprints on the Isle of Skye, mm-hmm. just in the beds of these rocks. And he includes pictures in the book. And I look at them and I think, how you know that that is not just a bit of rock? You've got to have a really trained geologist's eye. It's just very impressive that people can look at these things and know what they are. I have a friend whose partner doesn't believe in dinosaurs. Oh, good. It's not a religious thing, it's just he's not seen them and therefore he doesn't believe that they exist. And you show him like all this evidence mm. and he just looks like he's not convinced. Yeah. And that's it. That's so the end of the conversation. Does he believe man went to the moon? I'm not sure. Like, wouldn't surprise me if he did. not want to any more cans of words. <laughs> the extinction's put in a really interesting way as well because through the theory of evolution into birds, he kind of explains there sort of are still dinosaurs about the few that survived the extinction event gradually evolved into modern birds. So they're as close as we've got Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. such a long time, in the same way that we're related to the mammals from that period. Aren't crocodiles really, really old? Yeah, they predate, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crocodiles have been around for hundreds of millions of years. His description of the asteroid and the end event is very, very evocative as well. It mustn't have been a very nice day. (laughs) (laughs) If I ever told on the podcast, like when we went to Universal Islands of Adventure and they had an attraction there where you saw the Jurassic Park Dinosaur Lab, they had eggs and things and they had scientists. I've been to that, yeah. And they hold it up to the window so you can watch as the egg cracks and the little tiny baby dinosaur comes out. And my kid, who must have been five at the time, he was absolutely convinced he'd just seen a dinosaur born. (laughs) And then afterwards, to sort of have to kind of break it to him. Oh, it's one of those heartbreaking things. Why did you have to do that? Because I don't want him believing dinosaurs are real. Like now, your son doesn't believe in dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you tell him before Santa wasn't real? What? You haven't told him yet. He's thirty-four. We haven't told John. Explain. (laughs) You know how wrestling's not real. (laughs) Sorry, John. Explain. You know, Jurassic Park's not a documentary, despite my earlier... I'm so confused what's happening. <laughs> this is Dan's asteroid event. His world is ending. Yeah. Mm. Is it true that as the meteor that killed the dinosaurs was heading towards Earth, 
they got some dinosaur engineers and they tried to fly them onto the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, they were oil drillers. Oil drillers, yeah. Um, they were drilling for oil, which was weird because the, 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 the fossils there, that yeah. created the oils hadn't existed. Um, <laughs> but they were looking for the first oil, you see, these uh, dinosaurs. Yeah. One of them was actually the dad from the Jim Henson series, Dinosaurs. Have you seen the last episode of yeah, that? Yeah, it's brutal. It's heartbreaking. It's brutal. Um, so he goes along with his crew and, you know, his baby hits him on the head with a saucepan <laughs> as a goodbye. Ben Affleck's there for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, they, yeah, they all fly up to the asteroid, but it was not to be. Um, and, it, yeah. White... They, they're not detonate the nuclear bomb at the right time. So yeah. that the, the two halves... The arms were too small. They just couldn't reach the bar. Yeah. Couldn't wait that little really plunger thing. And the Pashinisaurus was no use at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, Steve Brissati. We have emerged from just seen Avengers Endgame. We're just going to give you quick first reactions, but don't cut to me first because my head is about to explode. <laughs> I don't know what to say or do or think. My ball sack is about to explode with the excitement <laughs> of three hours of pure orgasmic Avenger pleasure. Oh, God. <laughs> it was a bit of a challenge on the blabber. Could be two and a half hours. I got to the end of the trailers, so I thought, am I going to run out for another one? So, <laughs> ending that film while I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, It's so good. I'm very happy. I'm bewildered, I think. I'm a bit stunned. I'm, I'm a bit shocked as well, but I'm trying to think. Did it make me laugh? Yes, it made me cry. Mm -hmm. This sounds so cliche, but it was a roller coaster. I'm pretty delighted with the result. It did feel like the end of something you've been watching for a decade yeah. now. Yeah, it felt like a proper end to the series, mm -hmm. which is what mm -hmm. I wanted. Yeah, It had some really nice fan service moments, to the extent that I think if you hadn't seen quite a few of the last 10 years of Marvel films, a lot of them might go over your head. I preferred the comedy moments to the more serious mm. moments, even though I did find it very moving. Mm -hmm. I thought some of the comedy in this was really inspired. But overall, I kind of found the film a little bit predictable. It didn't really stop me enjoying it, but mm -hmm. if I had to put it in the top list of Marvel films, I don't know if I would. Oh, interesting. Mm. It was great that we got to spend a lot of time with older characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think that's a spoiler, because that was mm -hmm. clear from the post in the trailers. Yeah. yeah. And if it is the last we get to see of those characters, I think it was a, it was a fitting, nice goodbye to them. Everyone got a lot of space. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There were some surprises. There was a few bits that you knew were going to happen, I think. But in terms of who is no longer with us, that was not who I expected. I think it's fair to say we've got a little bit more of one character than we expected. A bit, mm -hmm. a bit of a larger, <laughs> bit of a yes. larger part than yes, you would. Yes. <laughs> That's all we can say about that. That was Probably. absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Nine clicks out of ten. Eight and a half question marks out of ten <laughs> until I've worked out who I am and <laughs> what day it is. I would give it seven shields. I'm going to give it nine haircuts out of ten. <laughs> there are a lot of haircuts. There was a lot of haircuts. <laughs> a lot of haircut going on, yeah. There's not much you can actually <laughs> say about the film no, without giving anything away. Really so just, just no. go and see it. It's yeah. really worth it. Yeah. Go and see it. And then we are going to be doing a much more in-depth... And hopefully coherent. <laughs> coherent, spoilery review on a future podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Bye. We'll, yeah, cut back to us in the future. Bye forever. <laughs> Dan, would you like to introduce your Game of Thrones quiz? To commemorate the final season of Game of Thrones coming to our TV screens, I have done a Game of Thrones quiz. Ooh. There's a question or two representing each season so far, and there's a total of 20 points to be gained. Oh, playing separate? You can all answer together, but okay. if one of you knows everything, you will get a maximum of 20 points. Okay. Oh, you might win something for my sack of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ineligible for the sack of fun for this because I'm the quiz master. Thank goodness. I'm still not watching 88 minutes until somebody else watches something from the sack of fun first. We did all of our reviews when you were off. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yep. Oh. We all watched our film. Yeah. Well, we all watched between five and 25 minutes of our films. <laughs> so I'm still the only one to have watched a full one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, question one Which of the following is Daenerys not called in season one? Khaleesi. 
Danny or Mother of Dragons? Buzz in with your names if you have the answer. Mrs. John. I'm going to say Mother of Dragons because she the dragons were not born until the end of season one. Correct. Yeah. One point to John. For a bonus point, only two people have referred to her as Danny throughout the entire show. Can you name them? Surf and Zone. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> uh, John Snow. That's one. Uh, Tyrion. Incorrect. Uh, the um, the, the Natalie Emmanuel, the the girl with Miss the Sunday. Yeah. No. What's the knight called who joins her in like season four? The Barristan Selby. The Barristan Selby. Yeah. Nope. Nope. No idea. Nope. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Who's around her? Is it Grey Worm? It is not Grey Worm. Do I get half a point for? You get half a point for Jon Snow. Yeah. Oh. How about her brother? Correct. It was Viserys. <laughs> John is the only person since her brother in the very start of season one to refer to her by that name. In, in Danny the, Sweet Cheeks. Yeah. That's what our brother calls her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's the name that she calls herself throughout the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Season two. Filming for King's Landing switched from which two European places in this season? So from a place to another place. You get half a point for each place. Hazel. I'm going to go from Belfast to Croatia. You're right on the Croatia. Mm. What's subbed in for Dubrovnik in season one? No idea. Seville? Or is that, no, no, that's the other one. That is the other one. I don't know. No. It was Malta. Mm. They went to Malta and then they moved to Croatia from season two onwards. I think they maybe returned to Malta a little bit in season seven but the vast majority of King's Landing from season two onwards is Croatian. Mm-hmm. Bonus point. Bruce Bolton, as lead bannerman to Rob Stark, sends his bastard Ramsay to retake Winterfell from the Ironborn. From where does he send his bastard? Hazel, a field? No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dawn? Sadly not, no. They, they are Northmen. Uh, the twins? Keep going further north. It's a suitably Ramsay-ish name for a castle. Castle Ramsay. Almost. Uh, castle Bolton. Not quite. Castle Ramsay Bolton. <laughs> I like your way of thinking. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of blank faces. Castle Bastard. Castle Bastard. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's a good name, yeah. That's pretty enough. So it's not Castle Black? It's not Castle no. Black, it's not. South, south from there and then... South from Castle Black, but in the north. So, and not Winterfell, because yeah. that's where you're You are all aware that none of this is real. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've forgotten the name. The Boltons lived at the Dreadfort. Dreadfort. <laughs> My bastard at the Dreadfort, he says. Season three. Which other franchise links Catelyn Stark and Walder Frey, two of the main Hazel. characters from The Red Wedding? Harry Potter. Correct. He plays the caretaker Argus Filch, and she plays Hermione's mother. That is very true. They've also both been in Midsummer Murders, which I would have accepted. But yeah, Harry Potter is the, uh, the franchise that links the two of them. Question number four. Which episode of season four was directed by Neil Marshall? And which previous episode did he also direct? I know the episode, but I don't know the title. You don't need to have the title. You can just tell me the episode. Was it the one that, where they're all at the kind of beach and the, all the White Walkers come storming over? Hard home. Yeah. That's no. season five. That's season five. So, but episode nine in season four is yes. the big battle. Is that the, the one? The big battle where? At the wall. Yes, correct. So it's called the wall. Yeah, I think it's called the watchers on the wall, but the big battle at the wall. Yeah. That's the one I meant. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even did, let John answer. I know. He didn't, he didn't buzz in properly. Yeah. Um, previously, did he direct the one where it was a battle on the water with the ships? And the... He did. Yes, that's half a point for Hazel and half a point for John. The battle of the Blackwater. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Bonus question for season four. What is Widow's Whale? Hazel, that's Joffrey's sword. Yes, it is. John, it's the uh, noise lull the old women make <laughs> when I visit in the night. I'm sure it is. So that is half of Ned Stark's sword. Yeah. And the other half is um, Oathkeeper. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, season five question. In the finale, one of the most famous sequences is Cersei's Walk of Atonement. How long was the sequence that included the Walk of Atonement? Was it three minutes long? Was it six minutes long? 
Or was it 12 minutes long? Hazel, six minutes. Wrecked. Mm. Hazel, a storm of swords in this quiz. <laughs> Season six. You know him as Hodor, but who was he before Bran fucked up his mind? Oh, his Ooh. actual name. His actual Ooh. name. I'm getting William in my head. You, yeah, keep, keep heading down that, that path. Henry? <laughs> no. <laughs> you veered off the path. George. <laughs> no, not going to no. get there. Willis. Uh, what are you talking there. about? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, We're yes. back to different strokes again. <laughs> yes, uh, John's one man different strokes appearing at the Edinburgh Fringe this <laughs> August. Uh, bonus question for season six. Uh, I think it's one I've used in a quiz before, but I don't care. Uh, Max von Sydow plays the three eyed raven in season six. What is the name of his character in Star Wars? John, Father Mivin. Ming the Merciless. <laughs> no, blank faces. Yeah. No, not death. <laughs> uh, Law Santeca. Head of the Church of the Force on Jakku, come on. He's on screen for like 10 seconds. I, I love Max von Sydow, <laughs> and I was expecting more than him to be stabbed or killed in his opening Do you think it was a longer scene. role mm. that got cut down? I don't think so, no. I don't, I'm, I'm Obviously not just heard. very old, but they still want to have him in it. He just had a bit of gravitas to him, yeah. I think. Season 7's question. What was the final scene of Season 7? What happened right at the end? Uh, Hazel, is it Jamie riding off into towards the north? It's not. Mm-hmm. John, it is the dragon coming back as a white walker dragon. That was the episode before the finale. Oh, okay. Yep. I thought that was the last it's, shot. Do you, do you mean the, the dragon taking down the wall and then them breaching? I do, yes. It was quite a big set piece. I hoped it would have been more memorable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just whether it was the but last yeah. thing. That was the only uh, thing we uh, yes. sure about. But yeah. yes, it was the wall coming okay. down. They ended with that. Yeah, so Hazel gets the point there. Indeed, most of the points, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just as a reminder of what's to come in season eight, just I thought I'd remind you through that question of what the last thing that happened was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Your penultimate question for season eight. Season eight has less episodes than any other season, true or false? True. true. John, true. <laughs> Peter? Peter, true. No, false. Fewer. Oh, fewer for episodes. God's oh, sake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> As a Davos fan, you should have expected that one. Your final question there are eight points available oh, wow. in the last question. Hazel is currently at six points. John has two points. Peter has half a point. <laughs> so, it's still all to play for with this one. Final question. Name all the members of the Stark family to have appeared on the show in order of their on-screen death. Right. So do we all get a chance at this? or You can all get a chance. You so can... only the dead ones? Only the ones who have died on the show. So are on... there eight? There are eight right. possible options. Okay. Was Ned the first Stark to die? But I, f- I get the feeling that someone else was killed first. Uh, on screen, so we're not talking about his father and brother. We are who, not. Okay. Only people that you see hmm. die on the show. Actual Starks. Does Brandon count because he's kind of zombified, but he's not dead at that stage? At that stage. Yeah. So no. Okay. I think Ned was the first one do to they, die. Can I just clarify, do they have to have Stark as their surname? Uh, no, but if they are blood-related to one of the Starks in the core family, mm-hmm. or have married into... Yeah, okay. So we've got Ned Stark. Yeah. Died first. Um, did anyone die in season two? Rob died in season Rob three. Rob died with a re- red wedding, season three, along with Catelyn. Uh, yeah. Catelyn mm. died just after him. <laughs> That's a tricky one to get the order. So, yeah, go... go. What this isn't our final answer. Okay, yeah. So at the moment, working, but <laughs> I, I'm keeping track of who comes up with the correct answers first, <laughs> okay. and you'll get the points. Okay, so but work at, together on this one. At the moment, we've got Ned first, followed by Rob, followed by Catelyn. So other Starks die. We've got um, the sister. What's her name? Uh, Catelyn's sister. Does she count as a Stark? She is not a Stark. Okay. She is a Tully who married an Aaron. Yes. Now, well, Jon Snow isn't a Stark, is he? He's an adopted Stark. Yeah. Also, hasn't died. He, he does die. Well, yeah. Uh, oh. If they died on screen, they okay. count. So I think he died. I think that's... Uh, in, that's at the end of season five. Yeah. Brandon Stark, he came back in season six. And I think he died... Fairly quickly. So I think Fairly he's one of the later quickly. ones, certainly um, season six. Um, 
the youngest Stark, Rickon, he died mm-hmm. at, at the Battle of the Bastards in season six. So we're still missing two. Is that right? We've got six there. Uh, yeah, you have. So we've got Ned. You've got five confirmed by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Ned Stark, Rob Stark, Captain Stark, Jon Snow, Rickon. Yeah. Who were the two sort of youngsters that got killed from the wall? I've baffled me. That, that's what I was trying the, to work the two out that with. Theon claimed mm-hmm. to have killed. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were they were kind of Stark decoys. Right. Okay. Um. So everyone thought that they were the youngest Stark boys, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. So Brian is still alive. Rickon died at the Battle of Bastards. Okay. So that's five. I think we might have missed somebody very very early on. I think somebody. Um, Brandon as well. Uh, Brandon Stark. I can't, I think he died seasons. Mm. Six or seven. Now, rem- remind yourself of the Red Wedding. Yeah. Is there another Stark at the wedding? Oh, does the wolf count? The wolf does not have Stark <laughs> blood, nor, the, nor did the wolf marry a Stark. Hint. <sighs> so, oh, well, how did they got married when she got killed? So, Una t- Chaplin. What's her name? T- Talisa? Talisa. Talisa yes, Stark. Yes, married Robin married. season two. And yeah. she died first. So. All right, okay, new order. Um, <laughs> How does it feel? We've got Ned Stark, Talisa Stark, Rob Stark, Catelyn Stark. Yeah. Okay. Blue Monday to Red Wedding. <laughs> and then we've got Jon Snow, Brandon Stark, and that is six. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then Rickon, seven. It's only if a woman marries a man, they become a Stark. Correct. So Joffrey wouldn't count. He wouldn't. But what I would say is from season six... Bran starts looking into the past and the future and through time. Now, in order of an on-screen death is the order of when we see it, not when it happens chronologically uh, in the so show. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> so, <laughs> what did he see? Oh, um... We saw Jon Snow's parents being killed, didn't we? Yeah, so yeah. Lyanna Stark. Yeah. So that happened end episode of season six, so yeah. just after Rickon. So my order, I think, Ned Stark, Talisa Stark, Rob Stark, Catelyn Stark, Jon Snow, Brandon Stark, Rickon Stark, Lyanna Stark. Pretty much almost there. Oh. Benjen, Ned's brother, you don't see torn apart by the Whites until towards the end of season seven. He has presumably died at some point Mm. before then, but we haven't seen it until season seven. So he comes last. But other than that- He gets set on fire. I think he did. Mm. Yeah. But other than that, between you, Hazel and John, you got the other seven in the right order. It's three more points for John, four more points for Hazel, <laughs> which means Hazel uh, wins this by some margin, 10 points to five, with mm. Peter making a valiant third <laughs> with half a point. Uh, Hazel, mm. wins I never the iron, any Hazel wins the nerd Iron Throne. <laughs> nice. And will unite the seven nerd kingdoms. I'll be kind to my subjects. The Queen in the North. At first. (laughs) (laughs) What's my prize? We will all bend the knee. Sack of fun. (laughs) So uh, you've won. Triumphed is what I'd call it. (laughs) And as you're triumphant, delve into the sack of fun. All right, I'm going to dig to the bottom of John's sack. Okay. Okay, I have pulled out something called Life Force. Life Force. Oh, is that the uh, Toe Pooper? This is genuinely a good film. I don't know. It how is I... not. Why is Patrick Stewart the third billing? Who the first? If two? you were in that movie, you would want to be as slow down the cast list as possible. Apparently, this is the most frightening flick since Alien! Exclamation mark. I'll read you the synopsis. From the director of Poltergeist and co-writer of Alien comes a thrilling sci-fi adventure of explosive action and pulse-pounding suspense. With mind-blowing special effects... I still, it still hasn't said what it's about. With mind-blowing special <laughs> effects by Oscar winner uh, John Dykstra? Yes, yes. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, Life Force is a sci-fi extravaganza that delivers out-of-this-world excitement. Someone's really throwing a thesaurus at this. It's based, <laughs> it's based on a novel called Space Vampires, just to give a clue. I'm um, sold. A mission to investigate Halley's Comet discovers an even more fascinating phenomenon, an alien spacecraft... After a deadly confrontation, the aliens travel to Earth, where their seductive leader begins a terrifying campaign to drain the life force of everyone she encounters. Who spends the first 20 minutes of the movie naked, if I remember correctly. Just walking around in the nude, being a vampire. 
Her victims in turn continue the cycle and soon the entire planet is in mortal danger. And when the mission's sole survivor sets out to destroy her, he comes face to face with the most charming and horrifying being he's ever known. Will he be able to destroy the lump, lovely vampiress? <laughs> or will, <laughs> vampiress. <laughs> or will he become yet another victim of her fatal charm? The film should have been called The Lovely Vampiress. It was originally called Space Vampires, but it was uh, after the novel, but was renamed because I thought that sounded silly. <laughs> yeah, um, didn't. That genuinely is only in the sack of fun because I like it so much, I bought the limited edition <laughs> and a Blu-ray of it. So you can trust me with this because, you, as you know, I don't really give you back your DVDs. No. <laughs> and, and can I also add that uh, Ian and I both saw this in the cinema when it was first released? We went to the cinema to see it on the grounds that it was by the guy who directed Poltergeist. I wasn't even born when Oh, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre he also directed. I won't spoil it for you, but... It's not like I'm going to watch mm. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, so it's, it it's... was mauled by the editors and then mauled by the critics. Deservedly so. <gasps> I, I genuinely like that film. Okay, I will give it a go, <laughs> I promise. Is it necessary to be inebriated? Yes. Okay. The more the better. Is he commonly accepted as the director of Poltergeist now? No. No. So he's not. it's not really from the director of Poltergeist then? He is the credited director of Poltergeist. Um, more and more people are coming, for, particularly since he died, actually. I think people who might have wanted to protect him a little bit whilst he was still alive. It wasn't more Spielberg who needed protecting. Uh, the whole thing was just because Spielberg wasn't allowed to direct two movies at once. Because he was working on E.T., was it, at the time, I think? So he was just, he was the director of E.T. and the producer of Poltergeist. But if you look at the behind the scenes footage, it's Toby Hooper sat in a corner whilst Steven Spielberg tells the actors what to do, points the camera away, wants it, does all the lighting, and then Tom Hooper comes up and goes, Action, I'm the director. Please let me be the director. And then Spielberg says, shut up, slaps him. This may not be this true. This may not be true. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you, if you watch it, it's clear that Spielberg was the creative force behind it. And if you watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then watch Poltergeist, it's very clear which way it leans in terms of style of film. Mm -hmm. I will report back on a future episode. Will you, though? No. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you for listening. We have a website. Nerdfestpodcast.com. So we've got all of our previous 30 plus episodes on there. So do check us out if you if you like the sound of us, there's more of us to come. <laughs> uh, that's a special feature on the website. If you click on about us, uh, follow the link, you'll get our home addresses. Um, for a small amount of money, we will visit you. We will come amongst you. <laughs> Pod into your ears gently. <laughs> yes, use Nerdfest podcast as the discount code. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also on Twitter and Facebook, so please come and join the fun. But until the next episode, you've been listening to... Dan Watkins. Peter Johnson. John Farley. And I'm Hazel Burton. Bye! Bye. <laughs>